0: I want to talk to you about what this world is coming to. It's called the Tribulation, and Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. Stand with me. We're going to read 1 to 5, then verse 11, and then verse 21. So we don't have time to read it all. So just 1 to 5, and then I'll tell you we'll jump down to verse 11, and then we'll jump down to 21. We'll read it together. Matthew 24, verse 1. Begin. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the mount of olives... "...the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many." Now go down to verse 11. "...and many false prophets shall rise, And shall deceive many. Did you notice that two times he says? False, false, and yet they still deceive. Now to verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Let's pray. Father, uh, this world is about to go on a roller coaster ride. We think it's rough now. It's only getting started and it's not gonna get any better. I'm so glad when things go well and where there's just peace and rest and some some time of joy. But Lord, uh, this world is headed into something that is called the tribulation. And you didn't just say, oh, forget about it. No, you said, don't be deceived. Don't be lulled into thinking it's not gonna happen. Don't be caught unawares. Don't think just because you go to church that you're in the kingdom. Don't think just because you're a good person that you're going to be good enough to get into heaven. And don't think that God's calendar needs anything except his own will to begin. Lord, it could start. And there's a... there's. millions upon millions upon millions who are not ready. So Lord, I pray that you'd open our eyes and put the fear of God in our hearts. Not not necessarily, I'm saved 39 years, but I'm fearful of generations of people who have fought you, argued with you, rejected you, neglected, and they will walk into the tribulation and they'll, they'll never come out. So help us to have a burden for the lost, And for a world that's going to hell. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the Bible says, let no one deceive you. Two times it actually says that. Uh, There are going to be false Christs, false Messiahs, false leaders, and false prophets. People able to tell what they claim to be the future, able to do miracles, and they're false and they will deceive many. You see, we don't have to actually worry about religious deception anymore, because if you believe the world's biggest problem is climate change, you're already deceived. If you believe the world's worst problem is racism, you are deceived. Now, I'm not saying those aren't problems, but you've got to wake up and realize that's not the biggest problem. If you've been convinced that the Bible is irrelevant, out of date, has nothing to offer today, you've been deceived. If you think mankind doesn't need Jesus, just a little of morality, we just need morality. If you think we only need to just go to church for a few hours once a week and we'll be fine. Or if you think that this world, all that this world really needs is just one slick, great leader to come in and forcibly fix everything so we can get on living. If you really believe that, then you have been deceived. There's coming a time in the Bible that is called the tribulation. You read it there in verse 21. Read it again. Look silently as I read it out loud. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Now, what we're about to learn is a lot of detail. But it can be understood. So Jesus didn't say, oh, it's over your head. No, he said, just don't be deceived. Pay attention. Learn. And then act upon it. I don't care whether you. I don't believe in the tribulation. I don't care whether you believe in it or not. I don't care whether you're confused about it. I don't care whether you agree with it or not. It is coming. And your belief doesn't change it. Your non-belief doesn't change it. A lot of people say, "I don't believe in hell." That doesn't reduce the temperature one degree. It is in motion right now. As we sit here, things are happening. If you don't realize that this world is ratcheting up, this world is doing something like it's never done before, it's headed for uh, a climax. If you don't realize it, then, then I don't know what drugs you've been on. Because the world is about to face something called the tribulation. That's a Bible word. Don't think that your news and your YouTube channels and your talk shows and your analysts and your movies and the documentaries are going to actually make sense of it all. Your Bible makes sense of it. And you're not just going to put it under your pillow and get it by osmosis. You're going to have to read it. You're going to have to study it out. You're going to have to test what you think, check it out, cross-reference, because there's there's Jesus didn't make it simple so that you have to study. But you get ready for it. Now, by way of background, let me say, what is the tribulation? What is this Bible word? Well, it means a thrashing. Isn't that a good word? <laughs> it means like, I don't know if you ever had it, but uh, I hate to use this because some of you are cat lovers. But uh, can you imagine putting a cat into a cat carrier box? Okay, that's where they belong, by the way. Anyway, no. Uh, you put it in a cat carrier box, and you put it in the back of, the, of your car, maybe in the boot. That's where they belong. Anyway, you put it there, and you go over a pothole. Now, what's that cat doing in that box? All right. That cat's getting a thumping, a thrashing, thrown around, ups and downs. You didn't really intend for it, did you? But the point being this. That's this world, thrown up and down and left and right, and everybody's freaking out. It means a thrashing. It means affliction. It means deep misery, distress, pain, torment. Go to Jeremiah now. Chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. The Bible refers to it as a time of trouble for Jacob. Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 6. be a time where the physical descendants of Jacob, that's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and his 12 tribes, they will experience troubles and pain and affliction like never before in history. Look in verse 6. Asking now, and see whether a man doth travail with child. Now, I've never seen that. I want you to get the idea. He's not mocking. Uh, Jeremiah's being, being provoked to think about, when's the last time you saw a man in agony like he was having a baby? Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness. This is so bad that men will act like they're in pain, like pregnant women about to give birth. Ladies, that's your comeuppance. (laughs) It will be so bad that people will be in such agony, health-wise, mental-wise. They will be like everybody's in the pain of childbirth. It'll go on, verse 7, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of, underline those or circle the words, of Jacob's trouble. That's the word tribulation. It's Jacob's tribulation. But he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, and of all the powers that take over Israel throughout history. And I will burst thy bonds, I'll make you free, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. Nobody will take advantage of Israel anymore. Verse 9, but they, Israel, shall serve the Lord their God and serve David their king, whom I will raise up, resurrect unto them. Therefore, fear thou not, O my servant, who... Jacob, saith the Lord, neither be thou be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar, and I'll save thy seed from the land of their captivity, and Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest, and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. It's called Jacob's trouble. There has never been, evidently, a time like this ever before. That's what we read there in Matthew 24. It says, uh, then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time nor ever shall be. So what's coming is worse than Noah's flood. Think about that. It is worse than the fire falling on Sodom and Gomorrah. It is Jacob's trouble. It is not Israel. It's not, uh, the church's trouble. It's not the world's trouble. It's Israel's trouble. But I like how it says it, um, uh, Is it here? No, go back here for a second. He shall be saved out of it. The nation of Israel will serve God once again. Right now they're not serving God, but he is committed to bringing them back unto him. Aren't you glad God's got that kind of love? See, my love has a limit. Anybody like that? You say, well, you walk away from me, then I'm done. That's me. I have to constantly work on my heart, and you go, yeah, but I'm Christian. i got to go after him i got to go and say, I'm sorry. i got to go and try to bring them back. i got to try to love them even though they don't love me. But that's what God does toward us, doesn't he? And so God so proves his love by having a people who so turn against him, who so violently uh, um, uh, act out everything evil against God, and God says, I'm still going after him to prove that I'll go after you too, and that I love you. So what's going to be happening? Two thoughts, the wrath of God is gonna be poured out. Go to Revelation chapter six. Revelation in the last book of your Bible, chapter six and verse 16. Look at verse 15, just for, uh, just for context. <clears throat> well, I mean, I, we'll come back to it. There's just so much here. This is during the time of the tribulation. Start just verse 16. And said to the mountains, these are people who are crying out to the mountains in in which they are hiding. And they're saying to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. And from the wrath of who? Of the lamb. Who's that? That's Jesus. For the great day of his wrath is come and who shall abide to stand. Go to chapter 15, Revelation 15, 1. I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. It's not only the wrath of God that's going to be poured out, but the wrath of Satan is going to be experienced as well. I mean, the devil is actually going to go out of his mind. Go to Revelation 12 and verse 12. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 12. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil is come down unto you, having great what? Because he knoweth that he hath but a short time truly it will be hell on earth now i want to start you off when you talk about the tribulation you start off with four horsemen if you go back to chapter 6 <clears throat> revelation chapter 6 we're just going to read verses 10 to 17 is that what i want no uh, we'll start in verse one. Yeah, we'll do one to nine. Revelation chapter six, verse one, and I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and if you get an idea without going through all the time, uh, God's got this. He calls it a book, and it's a scroll, and this scroll has the, the final judgment of the earth. It's like a uh, uh, it's like a a um, when you go before a a courtroom and there's a uh, a box of jurors who are going to pass judgment and they make a statement and they they, they decide whether you're guilty or innocent and they put that decision in the envelope there and they seal it. Well, there is a document that has the final judgment of this world and it's sealed not just like a a normal envelope, you know, just on the edge, but it has seven uh, uh, wax seals across that thing. And every time one of those things pops off, Disaster occurs on earth. So verse 1 says, When I saw the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts, one of the four uh, uh, archangels, uh, said, Come and see. Come see what this is. So John, I, I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So there are four men riding out on four demonic horses. You get this first guy out, and he's on a white horse, verse 3. When he'd opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given unto him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. One guy acts like he's bringing peace. Next guy comes and takes it away, that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword to kill. Verse 5, And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny. Now that means just a cup of wheat for a day's wage. Can you imagine working all day long to come home and make one loaf of bread? That's the kind of time that we're headed into you got money coming out of the wazoo compared to two-thirds of the rest of the world. Well, one of these days, you're going to know what it means to be hungry. If you're going to just ignore getting saved and ignore the future, and just you're going to walk into the tribulation, and it will be a disaster, famine. And three measures of barley for a penny. A penny was a day's wage. And see, thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Verse 7, when he'd opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see and i looked and behold a pale horse and his name that sat on him was death and hell followed with him and power was given unto him over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with beasts of the earth the four horsemen are a um, uh these are these these demonic creatures inhabit humans riding on it's a it's a description of something that we can't conceive, but when, when, Dan, when uh, John is looking at it, he sees a horse take off like lightning going throughout the earth, and he's got a bow, but you notice he has no arrows. So he comes with great might. I mean, I bet you he's got a six-pack on his, on his uh, belly there. I bet he, his muscles are bulging. I bet he's got a beard that's the best-looking beard. He's got a square jaw. He's got perfect eyes. He's got baby blue eyes. I don't know what. This guy, wherever where he walks, girls are swooing. Uh, guys are like, I wish I was just like him. And he comes along, and this guy comes, and everybody says, well, follow him. We will follow him. And he goes forth to conquer, and he conquers. But as soon as he takes control, who comes? That's the next horse. War. And all of a sudden, people start killing each other. After that comes Famine. And then after that comes death, followed by what? Hell. You're not going to get any better, folks. These describe, these are all characteristics of the entire time of the tribulation, from the start of it to the very day of the wrath of God at Armageddon. So when you're reading there in chapter 6, it goes all the way down to verse, we said there in verse 16, it says, Hide us from the face of him that setteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb they're crying out, at the end, they're crying out, we're doomed, verse 17, for the great day of His wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? It's followed, there's actually, uh, we got a false Messiah bringing in what, they, what he's going to call world peace. He's going to start World War III. He's going to create a worldwide famine, and then he's going to bring death and hell on this world like never before, but it doesn't stop there. Look in verse 9, because genocide takes place like we've never conceived. In um, verse 9, it goes on and it says this, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar in heaven the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest for a little season until their fellow servants and their brethren that should still be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So there's going to be multitudes that are just going to appear in heaven, and they're going to say, why did they get, why did they get away with that? We're going to uh, uh, take vengeance on our death. It's not finished there, verse 12. Extreme worldwide disasters. And when I beheld, he opened the sixth seal and lo, there was a great earthquake. Think about that for a second. One earthquake? Yeah. An earthquake like never before. We'll talk about it in a second. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. The stars of heaven start falling under the earth like a fig tree casting her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed like a scroll when it is rolled together. And every mountain, this is the earthquake, every mountain. Island were moved out of their places. Now what they do is they take, they got cameras on these satellites right now that are so precise. When when, you, when they take pictures of Tokyo, they take pictures of LA, they take pictures of, of all over the world. They probably know what you had for breakfast. So they got these pictures and when an earthquake strikes, they can tell you the, the ground shifted 16 inches this way. They know things shift. Now, you and I, if we were in an earthquake, we'd just feel everything moving, but it actually shifts. And the Bible says every island will shift. Every mountain (laughs) will be displaced. There will be an earthquake like we cannot conceive. And that's why verse 15 says this, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every slave, every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. That's what's coming up. This is the the worst imaginable time this world has ever known. i got to ask you, do you want to wait until then to get saved? You say, well, you know, I'll wait and see if that Bible's true. You know, if you wait until then, I'll say it next week. If you wait until then, you've waited too long. Right now, if you hear the sound of my voice and you hear the preaching of the free grace of God and you reject it, and then if I disappear tonight and don't come back and tomorrow, next week you're in church and some of you are here, you will not be able to get saved. That's serious. And then you see some guy come along and he starts being the world leader everybody's craving for you'll go... Well, Craig was wrong. <laughs> I'm following him. That's the Messiah and you're damned. Now we gotta talk about something called Daniel's 70 weeks. Go to Daniel chapter nine. <clears throat> Daniel chapter nine. Right after the book of Ezekiel is uh, one of the, the first prophet, first minor prophet, the small prophet, just before the New Testament. So Daniel chapter nine. In verse 22. Now, Daniel has a vision of what the Bible calls the end times. We like to call it the last days. But watch your Bible. We'll start in verse 22, but we'll come back and forth through some of this. Look in verse 20, uh, chapter 9, verse 22. And he informed me, this angel Gabriel, informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel. I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, when you started praying, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. So, Daniel's had a vision. He's now going to review it and try to understand it. And here's the vision, verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon, circle those two words, not all people. What does it say? Thy people, Daniel your people, the Jews, and upon thy holy city. And that's not that's not Cork or Dublin or London. It's Jerusalem. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy one. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem until, who? The Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off but not for himself. And the people of the Prince that shall come shall destroy the city. That's the Antichrist and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with the flood of fire, and unto the end of the war, desolations, ruin, are determined. And he, this prince that shall come, not Jesus the prince, but a fake prince, shall confirm the covenant with so many, for one what? All right. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation in the temple to cease, and for the overspreading of the abominations... He shall make it desolate, even until the consummation, the end, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Kind of big words, kind of tough things, but an angel speaking to Daniel about a very important prophecy. This angel, Gabriel, wanted to explain what Daniel was struggling with. Go back to chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, that was the king alive at the time of Daniel's, Writing, he said, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books in the Bible the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So here's Daniel saying, and he's actually, in his time frame, he knows that it's coming up to the end of seventy years since since Jerusalem was destroyed and since Nebuchadnezzar took and scattered the Jews. He says, "Oh Lord, what's going to happen now? It's almost time for seventy years to be done. What happens next?" And um, uh, verse fourteen, chapter ten. Jumped across here to chapter ten, verse fourteen. And you'll see sort of more of the context. Now I am come to make thee, Daniel, understand what shall befall thy people, the Jews, in the what? In the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. So that's got to have dis- discouraged uh, Daniel because Daniel is, if you know anything about the Bible, Bible history, where is Daniel at this time? He is in Babylon. His parents were taken away captive uh, as slaves into Babylon. They were made eunuchs. Visualize that. They were made to serve in the kingdom there, king after king after king, empire after empire there. They are away from home. He starts going back through the, the, the Bible, and he's reading in Jeremiah that God was going to judge and scatter Israel for just 70 years. And... Well, okay, good. It's like when your parents say you're grounded for a week. <laughs> All right? And so you can't use your phone. You can't go out of the house. You're just stuck there. Well, as this comes to the end of the week, you are like, okay, okay, I can go back. And so Daniel's like, okay, okay, we get to go back. And the Lord says, no. What I'm giving you is a vision and a prophecy about something that's going to be a long way out there. So Daniel's got to be very discouraged <laughs> He doesn't know that, Neb- that uh, Nehemiah is going to start the ball rolling within a few, in about 20, 30 years. He's going to be the one who's going to go back and rebuild Jerusalem, the walls of Jerusalem. Ezra's going to rebuild the temple. Things are going to get started. But to Daniel, he's like, mm, I want to see it in my lifetime. And you kind of understand that. But Daniel here, his people are being talked about, by the way. The way you know you're a narcissist is you think everything's about you. So not everything in the Bible is about you. Nod your head. Not every promise is for you. Can you nod your head? Okay? So sometimes when you're claiming some of the promises in the Bible, they don't belong to us. So be careful, okay? Um, just rightly divide the Bible. So there are some things that are specifically for Daniel's people. There, look right there at the beginning of chapter 9, verse 24. 924, just the beginning of it. He says, this seventy weeks are determined upon thy people, Daniel, and upon thy holy city. Get that in your mind. Third, it's a great plan of God. What is God trying to do? Look in verse 24, keep going. To finish something. When did the transgression begin? What transgression needs to be wrapped up and finished and put away? Adam and Eve's. And there's going to come a time where the, the transgression is going to be finished. And all of the, what did God say to Adam now that he had hearkened unto his wife and had disobeyed God and thought he could live without God? He goes out to the field and what's wrong with the dirt? It doesn't produce all the fruit. It's filled with bugs. It has weeds. He he works and he sweats to get a loaf of bread. His wife, when she's pregnant, is complaining like never before. And then when she has this baby, she's screaming like she's dying. That was not meant to be. All of that is going to be finished at some point. There's a great plan that God has. Hallelujah, amen. What's the devil's plan? He's a murderer. He destroys. Well, God's going to finish that, amen? He goes on to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins. Can anybody say, I'm looking forward to the day where I don't sin anymore? Because the battle rages, the decision is always mm, 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 And it hurts to know how stupid and how frail we are. Well, there will come a day where sin is done. Keep going. And to make reconciliation for all the iniquity. I can only imagine how much I've hurt God. I don't understand it. But as much as I've hurt God, this whole world, you know what God does? He has a way to reconcile for a world of iniquity. Now, we know that's through Jesus, but keep going. To bring in everlasting righteousness... I'd like to see some politician promise that. (laughs) To bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy, no more need for anybody telling you what the future is going to hold. You'll be in the future. There'll be no more. Well, I'll, uh, I'll tell you what's going to be in a thousand years. It will go on and on and on and on. The kingdom will go on forever. There's no more prophecy, no more vision. And the Holy One, the Son of God, will be anointed, we'd say, crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. God's got a good plan, doesn't He? Amen. Now, He uses this great phrase, week or weeks. So, God shows Daniel, it wasn't just about 70 years of Jewish captivity that Jeremiah was writing about, but about 70 weeks of years. Now, that's hard to comprehend, but That's the amount of time until the Messiah rules. So instead of talking about just 70 years until Israel is allowed to go back to Jerusalem and go back to its land, God says, you better look way beyond that, Daniel, and your people need to believe that I'm not only trying to bring you back into land, I'm trying to bring the Messiah. But I want you to see how he describes it. Uh, Verse 24 says, 70 years. Not years, but 70 weeks of determined upon thy people. Now, 70 weeks of years is 70 times 7. That's 490 years, okay? Go to Numbers chapter 14. Hold in your place here. Go back to the book of Numbers chapter 14. And the Bible's got about six times where God uses the term week and, and day and year. And it's just the way he talks. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 32. Now, what has happened here in Numbers chapter 14 is they decided they don't want to go forward. They want to go back to Egypt. God says, you can't go back, but I'm not going to let you go forward either. Your spies went 40 days going through the promised land and you decided to ignore my promise that I was going to give you victory. And for those 40 days, I'm going to make you go through the wilderness for how long? 40 years. Watch it. There in chapter, what did I say? Chapter fourteen thirty-two. But as for you, your carcasses, your dead bodies, they shall fall in this wilderness. And your children shall wander in the wilderness 40 years and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness, after the number of the days in which ye searched the land, even forty days, each day for a year, and ye shall bear, they'll carry their iniquities, even forty years, and ye shall know my breach of promise. Now, you know, when Jacob worked for Laban to get his wife, Rachel, he said, I'll work for you for seven years for her. Amen? He thought she was pretty pricey, pretty you know expensive, but he's willing to pay the price. And he said it was but a week to him. That's what love does, amen. But those seven years compared to a week. So the meaning of weeks is from Nehemiah. For now, we say we got seventy weeks, but he says, um, let me just take a moment here because I'll talk about it. Is this coming up? No. There are 69 weeks until Messiah is cut off. Go back to Daniel chapter 9. A little detail here, but you'll get a blessing out of this. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people. Verse 25. 9.25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment by Artaxerxes to restore and build Jerusalem. We studied that last year. Who actually was in charge of starting the rebuilding of Jerusalem with the walls? Who was that? Nehemiah Nehemiah is not even born yet and he says from the time of that commandment to build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince comes shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks Anybody might want to try a score is 20 so three times 20 is how many? 60 plus what? 7 is that right? yes but actually there's another number in there hold on where did I limit sit there? there's two right? Shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks, okay? So seven and sixty and two is how many? Sixty-nine. Thank you. The street shall be built again, the wall even in trouble sometimes, and after three score, that last section of three score and two weeks, shall Messiah be what? Cut off. I like how John says it. He came into his own, and his own received him not. They killed him. So sixty-nine weeks, from the time that Jerusalem is commanded to be rebuilt until Messiah comes is 483 years, and then he dies. Now that's got to gut Daniel as well, because what does Daniel, like any Jew, expect of a coming prince, of a coming king? What does he expect? That the king's going to conquer, that the king's going to rule, that the king's going to defeat his enemies. And yet here's the prophecy that the Messiah will come and will die. Did you know that exactly 173,880 days after Artaxerxes told Nehemiah to go and rebuild Jerusalem, a man came riding on a donkey into Jerusalem and the whole city went crazy going, he's the king, he's the Messiah. And three days later, he's dead. Exactly 483 days from Nehemiah's commission to go and rebuild the city, the city walls, and then to the Messiah, to the day. Is God awesome? It's when you you start learning about the past, it prepares you for the future. Then there's a gap. There's a gap between the 69th and the 70th week. Verse 626 says, After three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince, now it goes on, and it says, The people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city. Wait, it was being rebuilt. But shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war will be desolations. Desolations are determined. And this coming prince shall confirm the covenant with many for one, what? We're in the last week then. And in the midst of that week, he shall cause the sacrifice in, in, a, in a rebuilt temple and the oblation, the worship, to cease. And then he uses a phrase, he says, for the overspreading of abominations. Now, if you imagine the word abomination, abomination is, is where you want to throw up and you actually do. It's a, an abomination is something that is so vile that... And here it says there is going to be a time where there is overspreading of abominations. He, this Antichrist, is going to make everything that was good and holy, make it desolate, ruined. Even until the end, the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon that desolate. So, then we're into the one final week of years, of, of seven years, and then comes the end and I want you to remember these, these numbers. 70 weeks of years, 69 weeks, one week at the end, and then comes the end. So let's, let's show you the 70 weeks. From the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem by Nehemiah into Messiah is 69 weeks of years. The first one seven weeks, and then there's a gap. And then after that, there's 62 weeks, and you come out to be 489, what is it? No, no, 483 years. And we have Messiah being crucified. Jesus dies. What did everybody want Jesus to be? The conquering Messiah. And yet it was prophesied his life was going to be cut off. Then the plan keeps going. Aren't you glad death is not the end? You see, Christians have hope. If you have no hope, if you are not saved, this is as good as it's going to get. But if you're... Born again, if you're just trusting God, I don't care if you face death and meet it head on, it's not the end. The plan goes on. Now, what's kind of cute is there's a gap here. He uses the term 69, and then he terms 70, the 70th week, the last week, as if there's a gap. Now, you know, I've seen people have gaps between teeth. I've seen gaps. Come on, don't laugh. I've seen, you know, gaps between brains. I've experienced that. There are gaps everywhere. But this is a real gap of, so far, 2,000 years from Christ's first coming until that final week. It hasn't happened yet. But after that gap, folks, is one more week called the Tribulation, and it's the last seven years that matters in this world. And that 70th week brings about the conclusion of the plan of God And the conclusion is the reign of Jesus Christ on earth, physically. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to that. No politician will ever hold a candle to what Jesus represents and what he can do. Now, I could have given you other charts. (laughs) That's the tribulation. No, I made it a little simple. So here it is, very simple. All you got to know are two things about the coming tribulation. It is a time of increasing wrath and judgments. And there are actually two. The first half, Jesus calls the tribulation. He just simply calls it the tribulation. Let's uh, go to Jeremiah 30. In verse 7. We already read this, but let's settle it. Alas, Jeremiah 30, verse 7, For that day is great. It's not great like good. It's big. So that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Matthew 24 now. I know I'm having to go back and forth, but stay with me. Matthew 24. I'm actually almost finished. Just hold on to your hats because we'll finish more on this next week. Matthew 24, 29. Immediately after the what? Okay, so you got a time called the tribulation, but after the time of tribulation of those days, shall the sun be, here comes, darkened. The moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven. The powers, the physics of the heavens shall be shaken. Look at verse 21 now. Twenty four twenty one. for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor, no, nor ever shall be. So you got first, and it's actually in two sections. Three and a half years, three and a half years. The tribulation becoming the great tribulation. We already read there about the four horsemen. The reason why I started with that is because I want you to see the four horsemen are not all at the beginning of the tribulation. They are going on the entire time. You have the, war, the Antichrist starting war after war after war, bringing about worldwide famines everywhere, death and hell taking over. And it stretches across the entire time of those seven years. And then comes the time that we call Armageddon. Armageddon is a place, the valley of Megiddo, where Jesus Christ, when he comes back, the world is trying to fight him and they lose. Now, during the first three and a half years, you have a guy who comes along and he's Mr. Peace. He's Mr. Interview Man on the radio and on television. It is a build-up to the crowning of the Antichrist in a rebuilt Jewish temple in Jerusalem, and it's simply just called the Tribulation, the time of trouble. There is a constant build-up of world problems that gets everyone to look to a false Savior to save them, and believe me, he will deceive them. We read back there in Daniel chapter 9, the people of the prince shall that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. How is he going to be allowed to, to get to that power where he can destroy a rebuilt Jewish uh, um, um, uh, city and, and temple? Except that he's taken over complete control. This guy is going to negotiate a peace in the Middle East that's going to make George Mitchell look like Sunday school. He's going to be able to bring Hamas and um, uh, ISIS and um, Al-Qaeda together, and they're going to hug and weep and apologize and repent, and it's all going to be one love feast like you've never seen before. And people will willingly worship this man. You say, people don't worship. You've never been to a rock concert. If you haven't seen people, worship people. And he will enable the rebuilding of the Jewish temple one last time, but he won't do it for God, he'll do it for himself. Then right in the middle of that, let me come over here, the great tribulation, the second half, is the wrath of God mixed with the wrath of Satan and the entire world. You know what kids do in a home? You get in trouble with one parent, where do you go? You go to the other parent. (laughs) Dad won't let me go. Then all of a sudden you turn to him. Listen. When God starts pouring on the heat, you can't run to the devil because he'll pour on the heat too. It is going to be unbearable during the second half of the tribulation. The first half is going to be nice enough. People are going to be into a false sense of security. Then the most unimaginable disasters are going to be poured out on this world and the earth will go out of control. I wish I could take it. We're not going to take the time, but there will be worldwide famines, worldwide pestilences and diseases earthquakes, hurricanes, and tsunamis. I never knew what a tsunami was until Christmas 2005. Remember? How many of you knew what a tsunami was? You say, well, what's the big deal? Every Every couple of months, we hear of another tsunami warning. All of a sudden, we're all focused on that. What's going on? It's that increase. Tsunamis are going to be on the increase. Wind and waves roaring. Men's hearts failing them for fear of water. The heavens will go out of control, the sun will go dark before it will Nova and become seven times brighter as ever been before. Sun is going to be turned into blood, the stars are going to start falling from the sky, an asteroid is going to slam into the Mediterranean Sea. A massive comet is going to explode over Asia, poisoning all the rivers and drinking waters of over a billion people. You know, 40 years ago, people read the revelation, and only Bible believers actually believed it. Science says <laughs> And then all of a sudden they noticed some asteroids were passing very close to earth. Now they got 26 of the biggest telescopes scanning the sky, looking out for an earth killer. Because they know they're out there and they're coming. People will go out of control. Jesus said it there in Matthew 24. He said, "Um, the love, am I on the right? Yes. Find my place. No, where does he say it? Because iniquity shall abound. There it is, verse 12, 24, 12. And because iniquity shall abound. Tell me what's on your phone. Tell me what's on your Netflix history. That's just in Christians. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many Christians are going to grow cold. Not just people. There'll be no love. Demons will be loosed upon this earth. An army of 200 million angry soldiers are going to surround the Middle East to attack Israel. There's going to be intense persecution. There was a movie that was about to be released in September called The Hunt. How many saw the news about that thing? Absolutely boggles me that Universal Pictures uh, had paid for and hired actors and it acted out the hunting and the killing game style of what they called deplorables. He says these are people that don't deserve to live. And so they captured people, turned them loose in this field like like a, um, a paintball game, and they're shooting and killing. And it's a film for people to watch, people with guns going after and shooting other people. It'll be Christians they go after next. A third of the world's population is going to die in all these disasters, and yet everybody's going to be unified. There will be such unity in the world. It'll freak, just unbelievable. And the whole focus is to put one man on a throne and it's not Jesus. You know when it ends? It ends when Jesus Christ comes back. The only hope for this world is not you and me. It's what he did and what he's going to do. Now, if you want to wait till you meet him then, you've waited too long. But he will fix this world. He will judge history. He will judge all nations. What Ireland is doing to her unborn will be judged. We're not going to go bomb any abortion clinics. We're not going to go shoot any abortion doctor, but God will catch them. So next week, I'll tell you more about the Antichrist. He has a name, and it's not Irish. <laughs> he has powers that are unbelievable. I want to talk to you about two lone witnesses, Moses and Elijah. I'm going to tell you that there's going to be a nation saved, and out of all that mess, some good's going to happen. There's going to be a nation saved in the middle of that tribulation. And 144,000 of those Jewish evangelists are going to go into the world and start winning millions to faith in Jesus Christ during the last half of the tribulation, and then will come Armageddon. There are four raptures in the, in the future, four of them, not just one, there are four of them. There's one at the beginning, one in the middle, and two at the end, before Armageddon. And then comes Armageddon. And I'll talk to you than about where we are in now that thing. You think watching a game on TV is, is kind of exciting. Watching this world go through that stuff will take your breath away. I'm in the spectator seat. Amen? Why is it happening? Why is the tribulation coming? First reason, to judge this world. Secondly, to end Satan's rule. You know he is, he is called the God of this world. He's a prince of the power of the air. He doesn't run around from Jupiter to Saturn to Mars. He runs around right now, right in our midst. One of these days, his rule will be brought to an end. Amen? It will bring in a king and a kingdom that is perfect in its righteousness. But the greatest purpose is not about you. It's about Israel. You need to read uh, Jeremiah chapter 30, 31, 32, 33, and 34, where God says probably a dozen times, he says, I cannot disown them. If a woman could forget her child, which she can, I cannot forget you. Now, we apply that to us, and that's a good thing, because he cannot, I'll never leave you or forsake you either, Christian. But that is his people. And thank God, you see, if he could turn his back on his people, he can turn his back on you. He made a commitment. He says, you're engraved, Israel, in my hand. It's not a tattoo. It's an engraving. Don't wait until it's too late. See, God wants Israel saved, and he'll put this world through hell to get them saved. What is he doing to get you saved? The only only thing, is, I'm talking to people, the only thing I can think of why God would allow something like what happened to the Echers to happen is for good. And I have no idea what good is going to come out of that thing, but I want to see it, because I have a good God. I have a God who can take and can bring salvation, and He knows how to do it, because He's tried the nice way. He's tried being patient, and sometimes we have to have a disaster to get us to stop breathing and realize death can happen now. And You don't have to be 86 years old. You don't have to be in the living dangerously. Are you ready? Because all of that stuff is to scare you. And I haven't even tried to scare you yet. This is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Are you saved? If I could see into your heart, and if I knew you were not saved, believe me, I'd take you to the ground, and I'd shake you, and I'd say, "Gotta get saved today. But I don't know your heart. You know your heart. And the Holy Spirit is right now knocking, gripping, pulling, Whatever he has to do to say, you, now, today. Because that is not worth going through. Let's stand. Please bow in prayer. All our lives, Heavenly Father, we have lived day by day. We worry about everything. We panic. We're anxious. And then you show us what's really ahead. And the truth is, we need Jesus. We need to flee to him and hold only to him. Don't need to claim any righteousness of our own. We don't need to show off any... Of our own goodness, because we have none. We need a savior. And Jesus, the only one that fits. He's the only one that came as the Messiah and was killed by his own people. And still got up and still said, Follow me. And is about to come back and save his people. That's what his name means. He shall, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's his whole big, I'm a byproduct. I'm, a, I'm in by accident almost that I got saved. But thank God it's open. Thank God the opportunity is here and now. There's nothing to do but believe. And with our heads bowed and eyes closed, is there anybody that would say, I have fought I have argued and I have resisted, but I realize I'm stupid and wrong and I need to get saved today. Would you pray for me? Anybody put your hand up and say, please pray for me, Pastor. I don't know if I'm saved. I'm not, I don't want to go through the tribulation. Would you pray for me that I get it settled today? Is there anybody that would put their hand up and let me pray for you? I would not be doing my job if I didn't make you uncomfortable. Because this is not church; this is eternity. If every one of you can say, "I'm saved," I know it. Put your hand up and say, Amen. Amen. "Amen." If you couldn't put your hand up, ask yourself, "Why couldn't I?" Am I scared? Don't be scared. Jesus took all the punishment so that you just have. All you have to do is just believe, just trust Him, just rest in what He did, and let Him save you right now. It's got to be in your heart, though. Lord, for the rest of us, I don't know how much longer we got. I'm not going to say it's tomorrow, but what if it is? Why would I put off living for you? Why would I keep pushing off doing what I'm supposed to do? Why do I keep making excuses about going soul winning? Why do I keep making excuses why I don't hand out a track or why I don't sit down with my family and pray with them and weep with them? and tell them the gospel story and plead with them to be saved. Why do I wait when we might not have time? This is our reminder. This is our moment, Lord, where we decide we got to be busy doing right. Because this world has no other hope. They have no witness outside of us. There's no TV, no internet that's saved. There are people that are saved. Who use every tool imaginable to win the lost. May we join with that. Lord, if there is somebody who's just not sure they're saved, give them the courage to come and talk to me. Don't let them rush out of here. Don't let them just as normal just say, Would you just shut up, Craig? No. Would you realize it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit of God you're arguing with? And let them talk to me straight up and say, I'm ready.